0: I get excited when I wake up on Sunday mornings, whether I'm preaching or not, to come in and just hang out with you guys. Uh, I see a lot of you guys during the week, and some of you I hang out with on the weekends, and it's just so great. I I love you guys so much. Um, I'm going to be joining uh, Elder Jim DiBiasso and uh, Pastor Ryan in our series on the book of James. Uh, What a great series this has been! Jim, can you give Jim, Pastor Jim and uh, Pastor Ryan a round of applause? They've been just doing a wonderful job. I've been edified. I know I've been encouraged uh, by their sermons, and so I have, I have the privilege to join them in this series today. We're continuing uh, on the series, Walking Out Our Faith. Now, I apologize today. I, I did a really nice PowerPoint, um, but if any of you have ever had satellite internet, Sometimes it doesn't always work well when you're trying to send anything over 12 megabytes So um, I didn't uh, get the the guys here didn't get my powerpoint, but that's okay So again, this is part five of our eight-part sermon series on the book of James Today we're going to be covering so if you want to open your Bibles right now Go ahead and get ahead of it We're going to be in James chapter 3 today We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12 And the title of our sermon today is The Master Key, The Master Key. So you know, we're talking about this idea of walking out our faith, and I gotta be honest with you, these last couple weeks, I haven't really been able to walk very much, let alone walk out our faith from our softball game two weeks ago at the church picnic. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Where you at Rick? Where you at Sean? Amen, y'all understand what I mean. Oh man, my ankle's still hurting from that game. But we had a great time and we enjoyed the fellowship. What I'm going to do really quick is we're going to pray and then we're going to watch a 60-second video uh, and then I'll come back and we'll get into our sermon. So let us pray, if we will, very quickly. Father, we thank you so much for this day and we thank you, Lord, that we have another opportunity, Lord, to receive your word and be ministered to by your Holy Spirit. God, we pray today that you assist us as we examine and dissect your great word and this epistle from James that um, we are just edified and we are encouraged in how to walk out our faith, God. So will you allow this arrow of your word to make its target, to hit its mark today, Father, in the hearts of those in this room? And so we thank you, Father, and we bless you. In Jesus' name, the people of God, say amen we're going to watch this video real quick and i'll be back
1: once spoken our words begin blazing a trail through within our words an unseen power is set in motion the tongue is a small thing but like a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire once spoken our words begin blazing a trail through the hearts and lives of those around us one kind word can demolish guilt, it can inspire hope. But the same words have also embraced hatred and executed innocence. Once spoken, our words sports through feelings and emotions on a level that only they can produce. Your words set up a chain of events beyond your control and of which you will never know. One word can destroy beliefs, harden hearts, or cultivate hatred. But they can also demonstrate faith, display forgiveness, and nurture love. The power of life and death lies in a single word, and we, the image of God, have this power in one word.
0: Amen. The power of one word. In case you don't know, the third chapter of James is about the tongue. And so we're going to take some time. It's only 12 very short verses in this first part of James chapter 3, but there is so much great revelation. And today we're going to take some time to dissect it and really get an understanding of what James is trying to tell us. You know, I going to tell you a quick story um, on this video and talking about the power of a word. Many years ago, um, I was a um, headhunter. I was a recruiter. Uh, for a firm in Wilmington. And uh, I had a co-worker, good friend of mine, still good friends today. His name was Dan. Dan was a younger guy. His family lived in uh, upper New Jersey, northern Jersey. And so he was down in Delaware simply because of work. And uh, so he lived back down here by himself. He didn't have really any family here in the area. And so uh, we became friends and he would come over from time to time and he would hang out with our family. And uh, I would always encourage him and say, you know, Dan, you're a great guy, buddy. Uh, I just love you so much. Um, your energy, your heart, your passion, um, just your, your drive, your motivation. I just love who you are and what you do. And uh, we would offer, often call him up and just have him come over. Well, one evening, um, on a Saturday evening, it was rather late. He called me and says, hey, Will, you think I could come over? And that was an odd request because it was, it was late in the evening. It was probably after 8 o'clock that I had received this call. And so I said, hey, Dan, if you need to come over, sure, buddy, come on over. So Dan came over, and Rosa left us, and we kind of hung out. And Alex and Dan and I kind of hung out downstairs, and we played our Xbox all night. And uh, Dan slept over that night, and later in the, uh, the next morning, Dan goes home. And we went out about our lives and our business uh, like like nothing. So some years later, Dan and I moved on, and we we, uh, took separate careers or different careers in different areas, and Dan went back up north to be with his family. So Dan uh, calls me one day and uh, well, first I got a call from his mother, who was a very sweet lady, and she thanked me. And Well, she didn't understand why she was thanking me, but she said, I just want to tell you we love you. Well, you'll always be in our prayers, and I just want to thank you, and I didn't quite understand why. And I received a call from Dan, I guess, a few days later, ironically, and Dan says, hey, Will, I never said this to you, but I want you to know how much I appreciate you. And I said, well, Dan, well, why you say that, buddy? And he says, because you don't know, but... Your words saved my life that night. You literally saved my life. That you being kind enough to open your home late in the evening and welcome me and welcoming me and just staying up with me all night and playing games and just enjoying time with you saved my life because I was really thinking about killing myself that night. But you said yes when others would have said no. You were willing to open your home and your heart. And you saved my life. Because had you not kept me there a little longer, had you not allowed me to stay over, I probably would have just gone back home and ended my life. So he said, I want to thank you for the power of your words. And it touched me. And it stayed with me uh, till this day, and I don't think my family even knew that. I think I just shared that with you guys. Uh, I think maybe Alex, I think I shared that with you maybe a few months ago. Uh, no? Oh, I must have missed that. (laughs) But uh, so it's news to Alex, too. Um, But Dan's a great guy, and I'm glad he has a family now, and there's a wife and a couple of kids, and he's flourishing, all because of the power of a word. So today I want to read to you um, a scripture. It's our opening scripture for today, and it comes from Proverbs 18, verse 20 and 21, and I'm going to read today's passage from the Message Bible. Now if you want to open to your Bible, that's fine. I think the message, the wording choice in the message was just right for today. But if you want to turn there, again, it's our opening passage for today. Proverbs 18, 20 and 21. Again, I'm reading from the Message Bible. In verse 20, it says, words satisfy the mind as much as fruit does, the stomach. Good talk is as gratifying as a good harvest and 21 words kill words give life they are either poison or fruit you choose i thought the way the message bible put that was spot on you choose so in the book of james as we've been talking about is as uh pastor jim and pastor ryan have been teaching us these last few weeks the book of James is a very practical book. It's not a theoretical book. It is not one that really teaches much theology at all. Many scholars call the book of James the Proverbs of the New Testament. James is an in-your-face, in-your-business, in-your-life kind of book, and I love it. And a lot of people think that James is about faith and works, but that's not right. The book of James is about faith that works. I'll say that again. It's not about faith and works. It is about faith that works. That's what James is all about. And so today as we talk about the master key being the title of our sermon today, the tongue indeed is the master key. But the master key to what? We're going to talk about a little bit about that today. I have five points that I want to share with you from the text, and we're going to read the text in just a moment. But there is five points or reasons that we must guard our tongues. So let's read our scripture today. Again, we're in James chapter 3. We're going to read, uh, I have from the NASB, but whatever you have is fine. If you have your electronic Bibles, you can change your version to the NASB. And reading from uh, starting in verse one, chapter three, we're going to read all day, all the way down to verse twelve together, and then we'll unpack all of this amazing scripture. So, starting in verse one, it says, "Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways." If anyone does not stumble in what he says he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body as well now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us we will direct their entire body as well look at the ships also though they are so great and are driven by strong winds are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires so also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things see how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire a very world of iniquity the tongue is set among all members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life And is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes both blessings and curses. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Thank you, Lord, for the reading and revelation of your word. Amen. So let's take some time to unpack this scripture today. So in verse 1, James starts out with a very powerful statement. Now a lot of people think that when he says this opening statement, that the rest of this chapter really is just for teachers, for those of us with the gift of teaching, but that is not the case. I believe that we are all called to teach and instruct, whether it is our children or our wives or those that we encounter on the street. We are all called to instruct, but James wants us to understand in verse 1 that this is serious business that we should not take on the use of the words lightly. We should not take on instructing and teaching lightly. Why? Because he makes it very clear we are held as teachers to a higher standard. And we will be judged more strictly and accordingly. James is saying, listen guys, this is very serious business and it is not to be taken lightly. So our first point today, Five reasons why we must guard our tongues. Reason number one. And again, I apologize, I don't have it up on the screen, but you can jot it down. Reason number one is the tongue is the key to holy living. In verses two through the first half of verse five, let's unpack that for a minute. James makes an interesting statement here where James says that the man who can control the tongue is perfect. The man who has never erred or the man who has never spoken ill with the tongue is perfect. And what does he mean by perfect? What is James trying to tell us here? Well, James actually spoke about it. And uh, Pastor Jim talked about it in his sermon in James chapter 1. And let me read that scripture to you very quickly. James says here in one. Uh, he says, and let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so, perfection here, we, which we will never obtain in this world and in this level of sanctification, James says that this perfection is a completeness and a maturity that God marks us with when we have reached the pinnacle of what He is intended to produce in us. And beloved, as much as we will try in this earthly life, we will never truly reach the pinnacle of what God has intended for us until we meet him in glory. Whether through death or through rapture, that's when we'll get there. And so James is saying, listen, it will never happen, perfection will never happen in this lifetime. Why? Because the universal experience of sin in this world comes in all kinds of shapes sizes and forms how many y'all know what i'm talking about today and in particular if you're mature enough to admit it the sin of speech is one that permeates every single one of our lives every day if we're mature enough to admit it you know there's these hasty sayings there's Are these untruthful statements, little white lies, y'all know what I'm talking about, we do it all the time, right? Innuendo, sly comments, gossip, and so on. The sin of speech is something that permeates our lives every single day. And James says, listen, if you were able to control it, you'd be perfect, but none of us are. And then he goes on to give us two illustrations today. And there are preachers, bless their hearts, they have done a great job giving entire sermons on these two illustrations that are in these first few verses. I'm not going to do that today because I don't think that's the point. But let me give you a few takeaways from these illustrations. And he gives the illustration uh, in this text about the bit in the horse's mouth and the rudder of the ship. Again, I I'm not going to spend too much time on that. There's so much to uh, unpack in this text. But what James is trying to help us understand is that these very, very small things, a bit. Anybody seen a horse's bit? It's really about this big. It just goes through the horse's mouth so you can control the head, right? Right? And a rudder is very small in comparison to the ship. But what James is helping us to understand is a small thing can harness the violence and the power of a beast, of a horse, and the power of the storm that rages in the sea that the ship will navigate through. A small thing. And so James tells us that the key to holy living is also the tongue that the tongue has the power smallest of its members in the body that the tongue itself is the master key to holy living. And so are we the masters of the master key? Have we harnessed and controlled it? And some of us do well in this area and some of us don't. Can I can I make a confession? Because, you know, I, you guys know this about me. If you don't, you should know this. Um, I'm a very real kind of Christian. I don't like being painted and pretty and cleaned up and dolled up and all religious. I, I just like to expose who I am and what I am. And I think that's how we grow. Listen, you know, I, I spent a lot of years in the Marine Corps. And so sometimes I got a problem with cussing. Okay, I, I'm just being honest. I, true, I really do my best. I try not to. But that's, my, that's one of my things. I, I'm growing, I'm trying, right? But, I, but I'm just being honest, I'm being transparent. That's one of my things, right? So even I have that issue, it's normally at Alex. <laughs> I love you, buddy. But I, I, I struggle, right? So, but it's one of those areas that really the, the tongue has so much power. And although circumstances will change and situations may vary, can we maintain the course? Can we, in the storms of life, as the waves take our boats up and down and as the waves crash over our bows, can we maintain the course? Will we allow our tongue to steer us off course? will we master or control enough our tongue to maintain our heading some people think that uh, uh, managing or battling the tongue or winning it over controlling it um, is to win the battle but no guys it's so much bigger than that controlling the tongue is winning the battle of all battles I'm going to help you to understand what I mean here in a little bit when I tell you that controlling the tongue is winning the battle of all battles. See, because our, our tongue is more than what we say out loud. People think that when we talk about this scripture and we're speaking about the power of the tongue, that it is just what comes out of our mouths, beloved, that is so far beyond the truth, it's because what we say is only a small part of what our tongue actually does. Try to formulate a single word, you're going to formulate it in your head first. Try. Any word you've ever spoken, you have ever spoken is formulated first in your mind. You can't even plan out anything step by step without first making those steps in your mind. You can't even imagine without painting a word picture in your head first. You can't write a letter, write a post on social media. Some of y'all need to slow down with some of y'all posts. Without first creating it in your mind. You can't resent something or someone without first fueling the fires of resentment with the words that are spoken in your own head. You can't have pity for yourself without first listening to the words of pity in your own mind. See, the power of the tongue is more than just your words. But imagine what would happen. Imagine what would change if we controlled it. Imagine what would happen if we were able, although we can never tame the tongue, we're going to get into that in a little bit, and although we can't tame it, what would happen if we controlled it even a little bit? We would refuse to formulate any wrong words in our mind and it would never come out of our mouths. We would not create words of self-pity in our heads. There would be no images of lust that comes out and then is acted upon because we refuse to even have it in our minds first. Thoughts of anger and resentment never happen and so on. These things are cut down and are never given life Because we did not allow it to grow in our minds first. We were able to control our tongues in our minds first. See, controlling the tongue is not evidence of spiritual maturity. It's not. It's not evidence of spiritual maturity at all. Controlling the tongue is the means to spiritual maturity. Are y'all catching me today? All right, I hope I'm speaking to somebody's heart today. All right, number two, we want to move through this quickly. Number two, uh, reasons why we must guard our tongue. Number two is that the tongue has enormous power. Let me read for you again. I'm going to recap these verses, verse 5b and 6. Verse 5b, which is the second part of verse 5, says, And yet it boasts great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire? In verse 6 it says, and the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set amongst our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Listen, I know this might be hard to accept and even hard to hear sometimes, but we must speak the truth. I saw someone post um, the other day, um, don't look for a church that's close. Look for a church that's close to the word. I thought that was a pretty powerful statement. And that's why I love this church because this church is close to the word. I live an hour from here. Some of you guys know that. And I come here eagerly every single Sunday because we're close to the word. So sometimes we're going to say some things in the word that don't always agree with our spirits, right? Sometimes we're going to talk about things that sometimes make us uncomfortable. So here's one that sometimes can make us uncomfortable. Our tongue left unchecked, left uncontrolled, is really a tongue powered for evil. We don't, we don't want to hear that because we think we're holy and sanctified and all that. But I got to tell you, if your tongue isn't checked, if it's not bridled, it is really an instrument for the devil and for his will. I'll explain to you a little bit what I mean. Because the Scripture gives us some really clear understanding of this. See, the, the, the tongue is really inclined towards evil amongst all its body parts. Think of what I just said to you earlier. Think of the things that you formulate with your tongue in your mind, and when you give life to that, how it gives birth to what? You name it, you, 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 put a, you, you fill in the blank. The sin, whatever it is, you give birth to it because the tongue is inclined towards sin. And the scripture uses the, wor- the word world. That's cosmos in the Greek in the scripture. And what it's really saying is that the tongue is inclined towards the way of the world of sin and the way of unrighteousness. It's geared towards the schemes and the sins of man. That the tongue is totally against God, it is anti God, it is totally in rejection of Jesus Christ if left unchecked and untamed. Our tongue is naturally very inflammatory if you don't believe me, talk to a two-year-old. Okay? Honestly, we don't teach our children to do wrong. No one has to teach a child to do wrong things. Anyone who's a parent knows this. You teach your children to do right because they're naturally inclined to do wrong. And so our tongues are naturally inflammatory. It's naturally inclined towards God. And so because it's naturally inflammatory and if left uncontrolled, the tongue is gonna do its very best to corrupt all of you, top to bottom. It's gonna do its very best to corrupt all of your members and make sure that you are hostile towards God exactly the way the world is well let's look at this scripturally because the the tongue involves so many fundamental things again as we talked about the way we think the way we imagine the way we long the way we plan it's behind all of our life's efforts and again left to itself it's going to leave you defiled everywhere you go And so let's look at this in verse 6 again. James makes a really interesting and I think unusual expression in verse 6. James says, It sets on fire the course of your life. What's James saying there? What does he mean? You know, when I was a little kid, ornery, dirty little kid that I was, (laughs) I was a dirty little boy. Oh, gosh, I didn't like taking baths when I was a kid. Um, Naturally, you, you grow through time. You grow through things, right? In your youth, you like to do things that are foolish and childish and immature. And just through time and maturing, you grow out of those. In your teenage years, you have a new set of stupidity and things and stuff that you do. In your teenage years, that eventually, praise God, we grow out of. And then as we become older again, we begin to mature through things. But what's interesting about the tongue is that if it is left unchecked, you will never grow out of the sins of the tongue. If not checked, if not given wise counsel, if not by your mom and dad telling you, watch your mouth. Sometimes you got to give them one. If not without that counseling and the word of God, we go crazy. Our mouths are like cannons and forget about social media. I've seen some of your posts. Some of us on social media, we just forget that we're Christians and we just unleash the written word, our written word on social media as if we're not actually speaking it. But life will be set on fire if it's not checked. I know there have been times in my life where I had probably said things that I shouldn't have, and I wish I would have taken it back. But the text goes even further to say that the tongue is set on fire by hell. It's Guyana. I see James in this scripture saying that, listen, watch this, that it's the flames of hell that reach up through us through our sin nature and explode out of our mouths and in our mind it is those fires of hell of guiana the same one that those who are condemned go to those who have not saved or not saved and received jesus Christ. that same hell guiana is what he's talking about here and he says it's like those flames reach up through our sin nature and are spoken out in our in our words and through our tongue it's just a part of our fallen nature and you know what It sets our entire life ablaze. Has anyone had a situation or ever had a situation in their life where they said a word and you knew right away it was a mistake? That you knew immediately that's probably going to change some things. And I'm going to have to work to get that back. You see how the word, you see how the power of the tongue can literally set the course of your life on fire. And James is urging us, and see, it's, again, the the tongue, if it's left the way it is, it's, again, it's not just anti-God, it's pro-Satan. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. You don't have to go there if if you don't want to. I'm going to go really quickly to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 8. And I want to read to you really quickly a scripture here. When Jesus was actually talking about his coming, suffering Peter had the audacity the nerve to rebuke God can you think about that for a moment let that sit with you he rebuked he reproved corrected that doesn't sound right God and Peter says here when he spoke his he says that he pulled Jesus aside And began rebuking him, but turning around and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and he says to Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. See, Jesus was speaking to the devil in the words. He was speaking to the fire that was rising up from hell through the words of Peter. And he said, not directly to Peter, but to the Satan in those words, because they were pro-Satan. He says, no, 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 no. Get behind me. See, unchecked, our words are pro-Satan, not just anti-God. Number three. Point number three is the tongue is untamable. Let's look at verse 7 and 8 really quickly in our text again. The tongue is untamable. Verse 7, it says that every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. So James here is kind of recapping Some of the last passages, right? So James is like, listen, I've already told you here what good will come from a controlled tongue. He says, I'm telling you what alarming harm is brought to your lives from one that is not controlled. But he goes on one step further. James tells us that no one can tame the tongue. Let's go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 verse 11. Let's look at that really quickly again. I'll read it to you. You Don't have to go there Genesis chapter 1. I think I said 11. It's verse 28 It says God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on earth and so beloved we've tamed everything because that's the commandment that God gave us as the human race. We have already tamed every living thing and creature in God's creation, we have tamed it, but we have no hope of taming the tongue. He's given us that dominion, he's given us the authority to exercise it over creation, but our tongue is a restless beast that cannot and will never be tamed. Look back at all your many deeds. All the things that you, the things that you have done wrong. And I've certainly made a lot of mistakes in my day. Things that I wish I could take back, but I don't because they have made me grow so much. But sometimes I wish I could take it back. But you know what is greater than those deeds that I did, those things that I have done, is the words that I have spoken that I shouldn't. I could probably count on a couple hands... Things that I have done that were really, really wrong that I shouldn't have. But the things that I have said that I shouldn't have are countless. Things that I wish I could take back. But you know what? The scripture gives us hope. Listen, this entire thing isn't gloom. It's not hopeless. The scripture actually gives us hope. Let's look in the book of Acts really quickly to examine this amazing hope that God has given us. Relative to the tongue. In Acts chapter 2, verse 2 and 4, and I'm just gonna go there quickly. In verse 2, it starts off and it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. You see, on the day of Pentecost, unlike the fire that ascended from hell, on the day of Pentecost, there was a fire that descended from heaven. It was a fire that was more powerful, that had more authority than the fires of hell. And that fire descended upon those men and women and it changed the course of history forever. So there's hope. You see, because, beloved, when we are filled with God, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are made new in Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. We are filled and renewed in Jesus Christ. And with the Holy Spirit, the first act of new creation is a new tongue. The very first act of new creation is the renewal of our speech. You know, I said to someone before who was struggling in their lives and everything that came out of their mouth, and they loved the Lord, they were doing their best to follow the Lord, and, but everything that came out of their mouth was negative and it was pessimistic and it was just ugly. And I said, you know what? I know when you'll be empowered and you'll be filled because your speech will be different. You won't talk the same anymore. You'll speak life and not death. That's when I know you'll be changed. And so every time I'd get together with them, I would listen to their words and I would know it just hasn't hit them yet. But it will. There's hope. Because when the Holy Spirit fills you, you just can't speak those words any longer. So what do we do? When we get that spirit, when we receive that indwelling, we can't do anything but glorify the power, the majesty, and the wonder of God. That's exactly what they did in the day of Pentecost. The people were like, I hear them in, in my own tongue, and they are singing the glories of heaven. That's what the Spirit and the power of God does to us. So there is hope. Number four, today of our five points, is that the tongue is inconsistent. This is why we must guard against, or guard our tongue. Sadly, we are very inconsistent. The best of us are very inconsistent. And it is this inconsistency of our lives and of our speech that James is actually talking about in 8 and 10. Let's let's just recap again. Let's recap that really quickly. Verse 8 and 10, or 8 through 10. Again, it says... 8b, uh, the second part of verse 8, says, It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and our Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the image or the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessings and curses. Brethren, these things ought not be this way. See, it is the sin of of inconsistency of our words that James is is referring to as this deadly poison. He says that this deadly poison is the inconsistency of our words. And you know what? We cannot reconcile those two purposes. The scripture says that we bless and we curse. Those two things can never and will never be reconciled. You can't do both with the same mouth you're either going to do one or you're going to do the other they will never be reconciled and so james is saying that not only is this inconsistency happening but it's compounded by the fact that you do what you bless and curse the very same thing what do i mean by that what is the scripture saying about that so the scripture says look We look up to the heavens, and we praise God. We see his glory and his majesty. We see all that he is, and we give all praise and honor to him because all of creation speaks to the glory of the living God. And so because of the images all around us that we see, we praise him. And then with the very same lips... We curse the very image of God because every single one of us is created in the image of God. So how, beloved, do we bless and curse the exact same thing? How do we go out there and bless and love all of creation and God, what you've done with us and for us, and all that you have made, but yet we forget that the people standing in front of us were also made by God and are made in his image, and we bless or we bless him and curse them? It's inconsistent. And they cannot be reconciled. And you know what? When I read this scripture, it popped out in front of me. James is shocked by this. He is completely appalled and he says two words, my brethren. He stops in the middle of his sentence and he says, my brethren, this ought not be. How could you bless the living God out of your mouth and with the same mouth curse your brothers and sisters when they are made in his image he says it can not and should not be now I know that taming the tongue is far beyond our abilities in this natural state it really is There's nothing we can do. But what we can do, what we can start with is having a new respect for the image of God in the brothers and sisters that we have before us. If we can't control, if we're inconsistent with our mouth, the the first thing that we can do is at least love you and honor you. For no matter what you do and what you say, you are still his child and you are still made in his image. And although I may not be very fond of you, I will still love you and I will respect you because you are made in his image. God didn't say we had to be friends with everybody. He just said we had to love them. And I'm going to love you. Amen. I'm going to love you. It's okay. All right, number five. Point number five. Of reasons that we must tame our tongue is that our tongue makes us dirty. It pollutes us. Let's look at this in the scripture. The last couple of scriptures today, verse 11 and 12. James again here, he gives us this great illustration of how it pollutes us. And in verse 11, he says, does the fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, again, there's an emphasis here, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. See, in verse 11, I see James here talking about the fountain, right? The end result, what comes out of the source, right? He's talking about the fountain. And if I, uh, I didn't have a couple bottles of water, but if I, if, and you guys, anybody ever been to the beach, salt water? You know what it tastes like, right? Or if you've ever washed your mouth out with salt water. It's not pleasant, right? So if I took two cups, both with fresh water, and I added brackish water, right, salt water, into one of those fresh water cups, and I gave it to you, what would you taste? You would taste only the salt, Even if I only put a small amount of salt water in that fresh water, all you would taste is the salt water. Because the salt water, it defiles the whole cup. And you wouldn't know that that cup actually came from a fresh water source. You'd never know. And the same thing is like us in our lives. See, if all we're demonstrating is salt water, People are gonna think that what's the source? What's behind me, right? If all I'm spewing is evil, even though I'm proclaiming Jesus, what are they gonna think is behind me? Are y'all catching me here? And so James is helping us to understand this image of this fountain producing either fresh or salt water, but you will not get both from the same fountain. You can't, it's impossible. check this out. See, in verse 12, he doesn't talk about the fountain. Now he goes to the source. James is asking us now here in verse 12 to check out the source because a bitter tongue cannot yield sweet words. A bitter tongue does not have the ability to speak out sweet words because why? What does the mouth do? It speaks from what? The abundance of the heart. You will never get sweet words from a bitter heart. It just doesn't happen. And when you have someone whose heart is filled with the love and joy of Christ, okay, we're going to fall short a little bit, but very rarely will you get those bad, bitter words. And I love this metaphor about how these plants here, how we, our hearts, are the plants, the fig tree, divine. Our hearts are those plants, and the fruit is the product, our our speech is the product of that plant. So what's in your heart? What plant, what seed do you have in your heart today? I can tell by what comes out of your mouth. I I don't really watch much of what people do because I think, you know, I listen to what people say or what they don't say. If you want to know someone, just listen to them talk long enough. They'll expose exactly who they are if you just let them speak long enough. See, but, but, but James here shows us that a fig tree must produce figs. A grape must come from a vine. I've never seen a grape come from anything else but a grape vine. Olives come from olive trees. Salt water comes from a salt source. Sweet water from a sweet water source. Bitter words from a bitter heart. Critical words from a critical spirit. Inflammatory words coming from an unloving speech from a heart that is distant and estranged from God. Our tongue pollutes us. But it doesn't have to. It can do so much more. If we are willing, beloved, to plant the right seed, if we are willing to say, God, I no longer want myself, but God, I want my heart to speak out of the abundance. I want my words, my actions, my deeds. I want them to speak, Lord, out of the abundance of joy, despite my circumstances. I want my heart to speak out of the abundance of joy that you have placed in my heart. I truly believe, uh, uh, guys, as sure as the sun rises and the sun sets, that the tongue is the index of our heart. I really believe that. But your heart can be different. I want to read to you today a really quick story, which I think kind of gives us this illustration of what God can and will do and the amazing words that God speaks, the words of life that God gives us, the words of life that he speaks to us through his word, through his people. If we would just listen, if we would plant a different seed if we will allow him to change us and transform us, that not the fires of hell rising up in us. And you know, sometimes those of y'all who are a little hot-blooded, you just feel it rising up, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Well, today I'm asking you not to allow that fire to rise up, but allow the fire to descend upon you, the fire of the Holy Spirit. So let me read to you a story. Which I think will illustrate quite nicely the contrast of harsh words versus words of encouragement. I want to read you a story, and this story, I have changed it a little bit for our circumstances and situation. But the story is called Don't Quit. It is about a famous composer and pianist named Derek Forsberg. And so, Derek was scheduled to perform at a great concert hall here in America. And it was the evening of the concert. It was a black tie event. People came in their evening dresses and the high, the people of high society came for this amazing extravaganza. And in the presence in that audience that evening was a mother and her little girl. And this little girl here, she was a fidgety little nine-year-old, and um, she was uh, weary of waiting. She was a little squirmy. She was constantly uh, in her seat moving around. Quite honestly, she didn't want to be there. Mom thought that if I bring her to Derek's concert, that she'll be inspired to want to play, continue to play the piano. And so she sat there, and the mom spoke amongst her friends and as they were waiting for the show to start and the little girl could sit in her seat no longer so she slipped away from her seat strangely drawn to the ebony concert grand steinway piano and its leathered stool and on the huge stage flooded with blinding lights and without notice from much of the sophisticated audience, the girl sat down on the stool and staring wide-eyed at this piano and the black and white keys. She placed her fingers on the keys, trembling, and began to play chopsticks. And the roar of the crowd hushed. Hundreds of people began to frown and point in her direction. Irritated and embarrassed, they began to shout. stage, the master composer in Derek, he realized what was going on. He quickly put this together and he grabbed his coat and rushed towards the stage. Without one word of announcement, he stooped over the girl, reached around her side and began to improvise a counter melody to harmonize with the enhanced chopsticks. And as the two of them played together, the great composer in Forsberg kept whispering into the little girl's ear. He continued to say, keep going, don't quit, keep on playing, don't stop, don't quit. And as they continue to play, Isn't that so with us in our lives? Whereas we continue to hammer away at our projects, isn't it just like us in our lives? When the world is speaking words against us and we're having a hard time moving on, when the world is saying no, when you're, you're in your own words and in your own head, you're saying, I can't do this, I should just move on. And you're doubting and you're pitying yourself God, the master player, the master pianist, comes into your lives speaking words of power, speaking words of encouragement, and God whispers to us with his amazing and powerful fiery tongue, and God says, don't quit. Keep going. Don't stop playing. You can do it. So despite the words that you're saying to yourself today, God is saying more powerful words than you will ever hear. He says, I love you, and you can do it if you will just keep moving forward. Thank you, God, today. Thank you for my audience members who helped us out with that great illustration. And thank you, Derek. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you so much. Amen. there is so much hope that was wonderful guys thank you for helping us with that illustration guys i close today with those words of encouragement that despite what the scripture tells us about how bad our tongue can be the holy spirit will give you a new one if you want it if you so desire he will change your tongue he will change your speech he will change your life if you are willing to open the door and welcome in the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit into your lives, you too can be changed forever. Can we pray? God, thank you so much, Lord, for this family. And thank you for this community. Thank you, Lord, that uh, for Derek and all those who helped in this illustration, Lord, that I hope that, God, it made its point and it hit its mark God, I pray today that as we leave this place, God, that we come in, uh, we leave, rather, Lord, differently than how we entered this place. And it is all because of your work, nothing that we have done, but it is all because of you. So, God, will you continue to uplift this church? Will you bless us? Will you continue to strengthen us as we move forward in your kingdom purpose? Grow this community grow this family. It's all on you, God. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. We give this the rest of this day to you, and we thank you for being a part of this service. And the people of God say amen. amen. Thank you all so much for being here today.